That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island. This was a hot week for the San Onofre Nuclear Power Facility in Southern California, with possible sabotage at Unit 3, a hot steam generator placed by Southern California Edison on the San Onofre doorstop, Buddhist monks chanting, fasting, and praying for an end to nuclear, while the public hearing between the NRC and Southern California Edison was not quite the softball the nuke operators were expecting. A special on-site report, including an interview with one of the monks and with a member of the NRC inspection and assessment team in charge of evaluating San Onofre safety, all this and more will be coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, December 4th, 2012, and here is the week's nuclear news. Well, talk about the damn lies. Nuclear power whistleblowers are charging federal regulators with favoring secrecy over safety when it comes to the dangers posed by dams upstream of nuclear reactors. Richard H. Perkins and Larry Crisconi both work on risk analysis for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and between them they have more than 20 years combined government and military service. Now both men are reluctant whistleblowers, stepping out publicly to accuse the NRC of being both disconcertingly sluggish and inappropriately secretive about severe and in one case potentially catastrophic flood risks at nuclear plants that sit downstream from large dams. Among the information the pair has cited is the Okani nuclear plant's critical safety equipment is protected from floods only to a height of 5 feet. While owner Duke Energy's own analysis from 1992 showed flood heights from a failure of the Jokasi Dam upstream ranging at between 12 to 17 feet. Duke's calculations of the odds of the Jokasi Dam failure were low, quote, by an order of magnitude. Among the documents exposed by the pair is a four-year-old internal communication plan for NRC officials seeking to head off criticism of its handling of the dam threat. Taken together, the documents and charges shed new light on an agency that has been repeatedly criticized for allowing plant owners to delay crucial safety improvements for years and for diligently withholding information not as a way of protecting the public interest, but as a way of protecting itself. Perkins and Crisconi, who raised alarms on the issues independent of one another, say they believe that the agency is invoking security concerns in order to hide its failure to address a persistent and well-understood safety threat posed by dams upstream from nuclear power plants. Crisconi said, if we believe there is a security vulnerability, we need to take measures to address it and not merely withhold it from public discussion. Jim Riccio, a nuclear analyst with Greenpeace, said the emerging paper trail has eroded the NRC's credibility on the issue. Riccio said the commission has failed its most basic mission to adequately protect public health and safety, and it cannot be trusted to speak honestly about the risks that nuclear power poses. On the East Coast, officials say a pinhole leak has been found on a reactor head spray nozzle at the nation's oldest operating nuclear plant, Oyster Creek Nuclear Generating Station in New Jersey. The plant has been offline due to a refueling outage that started on October 22nd. 
This is the plant that went through severe stress from Superstorm Sandy and water surges that were above the seven feet protection that the plant receives. It is not known when Oyster Creek will return to service. Officials with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission say the reactor is safe. Right. It's just leaking. At the Nuclear Waste Conference held last weekend in Chicago, expert Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Energy Education said that the Indian Point nuclear plant in New York runs 2 billion gallons of water through it every day. So that's a live, vibrant water that goes in and gets heated up to 40 or more degrees and comes out dead water. Arnie said that the Connecticut Riverkeeper, an environmental group, told him that before Vermont Yankee was built in the 1980s, they did a shad population survey. At the time, there were about 70,000 shad counted in the river heading upstream. Now there's 16. Not 16,000, 16. We've essentially decimated the shad population. Arnie also said, When we talk Fukushima Daiichi, or the Fukushima Prefecture being contaminated, this is not a problem that is going to go away tomorrow. This is going to wash down and into the watersheds and then biologically be brought back up through the roots of the plants and deposited onto the surface for 300 years. This is not a problem that goes away. From Fukushima Diary, we learned that on Tuesday, November 27, Niigata Prefecture returned debris to Tosuchi Machi Iwate. They gave up test incineration of disaster debris because of residents' protests. After the beginning of next year, they're going to try to make residents understand the necessity of debris incineration again, but the residents will, in all likelihood, try to make Niigata officials understand the necessity of understanding the dangers of rad waste incineration, especially the debris from Fukushima Daiichi. As for Osaka, after giving three days' notice, which was posted only on the Osaka City government's webpage and thus only seen by those looking for it, Osaka City began its test burn of 100 tons of tsunami debris at 9 a.m. on Thursday, November 29th. According to the government, the test took about 27 hours. They say that the debris contains, quote, safe levels, end quote, of asbestos, cesium, and other untested elements. Once the test is labeled safe, the law interprets this to mean that all Osaka City residents okay further burning to commence in January 2013. Who wrote these laws? From Majirax News in Japan, Michinori Sasaki, the vice principal of Doho Kindergarten and a priest of Shingayoji Temple in Nihonmatsu, Fukushima, said, Children have health problems that they didn't have before. Almost every night, parents come to our temple crying about their children's health problems and their future. Sasaki worries about his own four children as well. My wife and I want to leave this city because my children are sick and have diseases, but I can't throw away my temple. Parents fight, Sasaki said. The mothers want to leave and take their children to a safer area, but the fathers can't leave because they can't find jobs outside. Here's a great piece of activism from our friends at Greenpeace. On Monday, December 3, 
Greenpeace released a weather balloon at the hearings on the future of the Darlington nuclear reactors to show that if there were a major nuclear accident at either of Toronto's nuclear stations, the radioactive fallout could blow into the greater Toronto area, over the Great Lakes, or across eastern Ontario, putting millions at risk. The weather balloon was released outside the hearings held by the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission. The global positioning data on the balloon charts its trajectory from Cortis, which is adjacent to the Darlington Nuclear Station. The public can track how radioactive fallout from Darlington could travel on a map. In just over three hours, the balloon traveled 195 kilometers, about 120 miles, across Lake Ontario, illustrating that nuclear fallout from an accident would travel much farther than current emergency plans are prepared for. Jeff Brackett with the local community group Durham Nuclear Awareness, said, It's outrageous that CNSC has dismissed the possibility of a large radiation release from Darlington in light of Fukushima. We live next to these reactors and want answers, not empty reassurances that it can't happen here. Amen to that. In Ukraine, a new cover over Chernobyl takes shape. Construction of the, quote, new safe confinement, end quote, structure, was officially launched in April during a visit by Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. This arched structure will be assembled on concrete rails and slid into place over the broken buildings of Chernobyl 4. The NSC, the building, is designed to last at least 100 years, by which time most of the decommissioning work on Unit 4 should be completed. So hidden within this story is the information that it will take 100 years for most of the decontamination at Chernobyl to take place. That casts the estimate of 40 years to clean up Fukushima in a very different light. So this week we're putting the spotlight on San Onofre because so much has been going on regarding the nuclear reactors in Southern California. First, possible sabotage. On October 23rd, Edison secretly began investigating how an important piece of safety equipment became compromised. Plant officials finally told the NRC on October 30th that they discovered coolant mixed with oil that helps run an emergency diesel generator in Unit 3, effectively disabling the unit. We reported on this in Nuclear Hot Seat Number 74 on November 13. Insiders at the facility now confirm that Edison is calling the damage a matter of sabotage and has brought in the FBI to investigate. According to information from a whistleblower that was given to Gary Hedrick of San Clemente Greens, the reason Unit 3 was the target is that security is now lax there, and that may have made it an easy target to hit without being noticed. Then again, we have to wonder, is this information somehow being gamed to SCE's benefit? We will keep you informed. Next up is union news surrounding San Onofre. Daniel Dominguez, business manager of the Utility Workers Union of America Local 246, the San Onofre plant workers, sent a letter on November 2, 2012, to Southern California Edison in which he wrote, and I quote, Local 246 cannot support the restart of Songs Unit 2 if we do not have sufficient confidence that it can be operated and maintained safely by and with undue risk to our members. 
He was referring to the reduction of workforce at San Onofre by approximately half, or 750 workers, with no knowledge of who or which classifications of workers will be eliminated. He wrote, We are unable to determine if the impact of those reductions will affect the safe operation and maintenance of San Onofre. The leader of the union, representing nuclear workers, can't figure out if San Onofre will be safe or not? Oh boy. Now, in one of those pieces of timing we couldn't have made up, on Friday, November 30th, a group of Buddhist monks began chanting, drumming, meditating, and fasting to end nuclear on the same day as the scheduled NRC Southern California Edison public meeting. The monks were supposed to lead a walk to the gates of San Onofre. However, the day before this was supposed to happen, Gene Stone, of residents organized for a safe environment, checked out the site with his ever-present radiation monitor handy. It spiked. It turns out SCE had parked a radioactive used steam generator right near their front gates prior to it being sent to Utah for whatever they do to dispose of rad waste in Utah. Coincidence with the monks planning to be there? What do you think? However, being monks, they were undeterred and simply shifted their plans to walk with protesters from Dana Point Harbor to the San Clemente Pier, where they have relocated their six-day protest. I caught up with one of the monks, Brother Gilberto Perez, just prior to the NRC-SCE meeting to find out more about his order and what brought this group to San Onofre at this time. Our order is called the Nippon Zamihoji Sangha, and it's an order founded in uh, 1917. It's a Nichiren school, but it's a breakaway because we're socially engaged into issues of nuclear weapons, nuclear plants, violence, sexism, racism. So we're involved in a lot of issues, primarily in America, but we've been in Iraq, we've been in Palestine, Chetnia, all the issues that affect people and their sufferings. And where is the order based? Well, the main order is a, a Japanese in Japan, but our each temple is an autonomous, whereby if we're near the School of the Americas, that's where we do our work. In the south, it's the Selma Montgomery Walks. On the west coast and midwest is Native American issues, coal mines, uh, reservation, poverty, prisons. Again, our, the whole theme of Buddhism is to deal with suffering and understand suffering and overcome suffering. How did you come to be involved with your actions here, starting with the march today that was taking place and the coming six days? Our um, actions against nuclear plants recently started since uh, Chernobyl, more so Fukushima, but it started with Three Mile Island. One of our nuns was a reporter during the Three Mile Island. I was at Three Mile Island. When it happened, I was one mile away. Wow. So... We still know activists in the Pennsylvania area, but San Ofri, because of the same type, Mark II, nuclear plant, Japanese order, the, I'm going to call it a war without weapons, uh, people will be dying and have died already uh, from radiation, some of the workers, separation of parents, <laughs> wife is going one way, the trauma of looking at your food labels, Geiger counters go out street, and when you hear from monks, and some of the younger monks walk from Tokyo right up to 
as close as it could get to Fukushima, and bodies were floating back from the ocean. So they had to call their 911. And, of course, as monks, we would do prayer. And coming to San Ofri, also, we started in San Luis Obispo last year to do a walk, also sacred sites with Native Americans. But with San Onofre, because of the accidents, the poor design, and the earthquake falls, a natural rim here, it's, 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 it's a matter of time when it's going to happen. So we're like uh, the small little boy, the Dutch boy, holding the thumb, warning people that they should be aware and find ways to have alternative means of energy than to depend on this thing that's quite archaic. I mean, I, I kind of consider the sun being far away because that's where nuclear energy belongs, not here on Mother Earth. And from Native Americans, Buddhists, all life is sacred, and we should take care of it for our future generations. And that's why the issue with San Onofre and San Luis Obispo has become more prominent because it's part of the Pacific Rim. And plates, tectonic plates, climate change, all affecting all these, and it appears from also a Buddhist thought that most people are sleeping. It's a walking dream. They're watching movies and football games and not being aware or conscious of the things that are nearby. Maybe 5% come to demonstrations. Oh, we would be lucky if it would be that much. <laughs> so what is the significance of the six days of yeah. prayer? I understand you do this every year from December 1st through 6th. Yes. Um, the significance that uh, Buddha was enlightened on December 8th. So it's a Zen practice, and we're talking maybe 800 years. And we have adopted our practice because our founder monk studied at a Zen school. So we've practiced, that practice is a fast of three days beginning on the first, one day a break, three more days. Then there's the eighth, also the Immaculate Conception if you're Catholic. There's a lot of holidays in December. And we've got Hanukkah coming up pretty Hanukkah fast too. too. So it's, it's a sacred kind of month for those who are in the, in the elk of religious faith. And prayer for us is uh, important, fasting, a cleansing of the body, because we're connected to all Earth, Mother. And this cleansing allows us to quiet our minds, to send prayers with drums, which is basic to Native Americans, Afro-Americans. The vibrations without speech, contaminated with speech. It's, it's a, a sound that goes up. It's a, it's a purer way of communicating. There can be no blocks to it. Yeah, it's just, it's your feeling, may sound oxymoron, but it's your feeling from the heart, a, a beating of a heart that goes out to the ether, the spirits, to please help us. We're, we're in need of uh, the spirits to mm-hmm. come in. Uh, politicians haven't done it. Social workers haven't done it. And social changes, economy hasn't done it. So uh, for monks, together with other people, in relationship with all people, to live sanely in the world of insanity. There was a steam generator. There is a steam yes. generator that was parked outside of San Onofre and yes. was registered as having radiation. Yes. How has that, or has it, impacted the location and the duration of the fasting, praying, and chanting you're doing? Well, we've we moved as far away as as possible without losing the effect of our prayers near. You want to pray and sometimes almost dance where the suffering is, not to, not to wallow in sadness, but a joy of prayer. I don't know if you remember the Baal Shem Tov, but there's a story about the Baal Shem Tov dancing, and there's pogroms 
they're getting beat. And with the Baal Shem Tov dance, the grains of rice also danced. So it's that kind of joy with people in suffering that we can overcome, whether it's 400 years of slavery with Pharaoh or the, econ- the servant economy of the U.S. <laughs> we, can, we can deal with it if we have a relationship with other people, all people. Where do you go once this particular event concludes? Uh, well, um, we do the Martin Luther King walk every year in Washington and end up at the Bangor nuclear base and the civil disobedience. We are pretty radical monks. We get arrested. Some monks can't because they still have a green card. <laughs> they might be deported. I can. Also, I, I go to Mexico. There's a lot of abuse on women. The macho stuff is there, and there's the whole deal on both sides with the drug issue, the immigration issues. So uh, walking and prayer, you can find a place that's suffering. You Anywhere that your neighbor is suffering, just wake up and help her out or him out going grocery shopping. So every, every place is a place that one can service and give love and provide comfort for those who don't have a voice. Thank you so very much. Anything you want to say in closing? Also that uh, in 94, they did fasting in Auschwitz. And they did the walk after that from Auschwitz to Hiroshima. So we did it at a, a place of horrific crimes. So the same thing again is to be where the memory, so don't lose this memory of how we have treated the horror of other peoples so that we can somehow understand a different way of seeing and a different way of living. Back to the meeting. What exactly is Southern California Edison proposing? That they restart a defective nuclear reactor that has not been fixed. That they run it at 70% power for five months just to find out what's going to happen. They're going to do this while the FBI is investigating a case of sabotage at the nuclear facility, and they're disregarding a union leader's claim that the workforce thinks a restart is not safe. I think this qualifies as the numbnuts of the week. The public meeting was meant to allow Southern California Edison to present this restart plan to the NRC in front of an audience that was, of course, muted. It was largely a PR event, but not quite the cream puff that SCE intended. Yes, they had their PowerPoint, their very slick VP of Engineering, Thomas Palmasano, presenting, San Onofre Senior Vice President and Nuclear Officer, Pete Dietrich, compulsively bobbling his head at his seat on the dais. But there was also clear pushback from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, especially from Art Howell, team manager for San Onofre Special Project, and the number two man in Region 4, just below Elmo Collins. A few days before the NRC-SCE hearing, San Clemente Greens learned that Southern California Edison had already announced to its employees that they were anticipating restarting Unit 2 on February 2nd. Indeed, the workforce had already been scheduled as if it were a done deal, and this before the NRC had even had the opportunity to investigate. Are they just being overly optimistic, or does SCE know something that we don't? During a break midway through the session, an unexpected opportunity arose for me to speak briefly with Gregory Werner, Inspection and Assessment Lead Generator for the Song's Special Project Branch. I raised that February 2 question with him, as well as a few pet peeves of mine about nuclear languaging and those warning sirens. Well, that's one of the things that we were going to we explain as part of the ongoing 
meeting, but we decided to go ahead and not do that so we could go ahead and answer public questions and answers. If you'll go on the website, there'll be a slide presentation that'll have the path forward. It'll talk about some of the activities we're doing. For instance, next week, we're going to be on site doing the uh, confirmatory action letter inspection. There's all at the same time. There's a technical evaluation that's being done out of headquarters. that will be looking at a lot of this information, too. So between the two of us, between the inspection activity and the technical review, we'll make an assessment as the safety of the plan. Is it safe to restart at 70% or not? Mm-hmm. And that will probably take at least a couple months. Uh, there will be other inspection activities that those haven't been decided what they are yet. Are you aware that the schedule for the union workers at Southern California Electric currently has them going back to work on the unit at 70% power on February 2nd? Uh, I heard that that was announced, but I can't, I can't comment on that. Of course, they can't start up until we give them permission. So it's blue sky on their part. Well, they're planning for it. I think they have to probably plan for it. That's, that's their estimate, not our estimate. Like we said, we're going to take whatever time is necessary. Okay. I don't see that happening as far as uh, that soon, but I can't, I can't comment on that as far as the actual time frame because we don't know until we begin looking at it in detail. We haven't done that. We'll start next week. Great. What is your title? Now I'm called Inspection and Assessment Team Lead for the Song Special Project Branch. You know, we hate the name songs because every time we say we're against songs, it sounds like we don't like music. (laughs) Some evil genius. San Onofre. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We call it Sano, we call it lots of things, but... uh, then I'd repeat in front of my mother. Are you located here? No, you're no, not. I'm 817. Actually, I'm actually out of Arlington, Texas. That's a regional office. Uh, oh, is that near, uh, is that where Elmo is? That's where Elmo's at, huh? Okay, because we were expecting to see him here tonight. Oh, uh, well, that's why Art's here again. Art was a, Art is his deputy. He's the second in charge in Region 4, and he's been assigned to take over for the song special project, or San Onofre special project. San Onofre. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, if I can get a change in wording, I'm one member of the NRC. I have paid for my gas coming down here tonight. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, if San Onofre is so powerful and so great, why are the warning sirens powered by solar? Why are the warning powers powered by what? I'm sorry. Solar? When, when you go to San Onofre, take a look at the warning sirens. Uh-huh. Each one of them has a solar panel with it. I think it's a battery backup. I believe the solar panels charge the batteries. Yeah, which is what solar panels right. do. So, in other words, the warning sirens of the nuclear plant are run by solar. It's approaching midnight. Sure. <laughs> so, at least one NRC inspector was willing to engage in a bit of consciousness raising. Every little bit helps. After the break, the audience was allowed to ask questions of the panel. Of course, this was our only opportunity to speak, and most of us colored outside the lines. They wanted us to speak solely about the technical issues and the steam generators. We weren't exactly compliant. I had the opportunity to address the panel, so I introduced myself as producer and host of Nuclear Hot Seat, as well as having been one mile away from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island, so I know what it's like when the experts get it wrong. I went on to say... What I'm concerned about is that Southern California Edison and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission have been dealing with each other for decades, since the beginning. The question being, with this kind of a closed loop, where is the place for the public and our experts to have direct interface on on the subjects that are up here for discussion who can't speak with much more specificity than any of the rest of us? 
So we have asked repeatedly for an adjudicatory evidentiary hearing. A legal environment under oath where our experts and your experts can duke it out with each other for web stream, for, for uh, 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 streaming video, put it online so that the world can see, so that we can put San Onofre on trial. If what you say is true, gentlemen, and I really do hope it is, that San Onofre is absolutely and completely and perfectly safe and nuclear is safe, what do you have to hide from such fear? I need to report that as soon as I mentioned the part about experts getting it wrong, Pete Dietrich's bobblehead stopped bobbing, and he looked like he'd had a lower GI attack or stopped breathing. Maybe both. In the end, for the citizens concerned with and against nuclear, it was just another frustrating time filler. Or was it? Yes, we were muzzled for the first two-plus hours. There was no meaningful engagement between the anti-nuclear perspective and the people responsible for the nuclear fate of Southern California. We, with our hand-lettered signs and mini-minutes at the mic, have little traction against full-screen PowerPoints and hours of well-rehearsed spin. In other words, business as usual. And yet, maybe this is being overly optimistic, but I sense a sea change in the issue. It seems there is now a consistency of coverage on the issues by mainstream media. Reporters are covering the story and have a history to draw upon. Our media is picking up steam as well. And the world is watching as Buddhist monks pray and the FBI investigates and the NRC is holding SCE's feet to the fire. Or so we hope. Here's the final thought. My background includes both theater and spiritual psychology. So in speaking truth to power, I look at the human element within all the technical jargon. Know that what follows is not meant to stigmatize anyone for a physical disability, but to point out what the mind-body connection revealed at the NRC-SCE meeting last Friday. SCE's lead presenter, Thomas Palmisano, spoke fluidly and fluently about all the tech aspects of San Onofre for something close to two hours. It was an impressive demonstration. But at one point, more than halfway through, Art Howell of the NRC interrupted him with a series of questions about the steam generators. Mr. Howell said that the new type of tubeware, something that he'd never encountered before, despite years of engineering experience, was, in his word, sobering. After SCE's Palmisano fumbled through a series of semi-answers, NRC's Howell quietly slammed him with, then why is that not a design change? And that's when it happened. You know how they say in a standoff that the loser is the first one who blinks? Well, Tom Palmisano did not blink. He twitched. Not just a little eye twitch. One half of his face squinched up. At first, I didn't believe what I saw. I thought, he's got something in his eye, he's dehydrated and just blinking. But then it happened again, and again. I pointed it out to Lori Hedrick sitting next to me. Every time the words design change were mentioned, he twitched. Why am I bringing this up? As I said, I don't want to stigmatize the poor man for a physical neurological problem over which he obviously has no control. But... In doing research on facial tics on the Hemifacial Spasm Association website, I got confirmation for what I'd suspected, 
that facial spasms are triggered by and or made worse by stress. And an individual is most likely to have spasms during exactly the same occasions when they most want to be spasm-free. So, Mr. Palmisano was able to speak at great length about SCE's plans with no facial problems. But when challenged on the design change, at the very mention of that phrase, design change, his face spasmed. What's more, from that point on, every time design change was mentioned, he twitched again. The body-mind connection is, at its core, our truth. We can learn to control our words, we can manipulate our conscious thoughts, change our appearance, we can train like a triathlete to carry a lie. But our body is the ultimate lie detector. And when Thomas Palmisano tried to deny or defer the thought that the change in steam generators at San Onofre, the core of the problem we are facing, the seed of the danger, was in fact a design change, the stress squeezed, his hormones spiked, and his body betrayed him, visibly in front of the audience. Would that we'd had a lie detector on him at the time with the results projected onto the PowerPoint. I know that I and others in the anti-nuclear movement express great cynicism about the NRC based on history. However, the NRC's Art Howell does not appear to be a man who suffers fools gladly or otherwise, and he does not present himself in the same cronyistic way as Elmo Collins, who always seems like some old glad-handing golfing buddy of Pete Dietrich. I sense that Mr. Howell is a sober man who is open to information but cannot be swayed once he comes to what he finds a logical conclusion. I don't know how the NRC conducts its investigations, if the investigating team has the final say, if politics can derail their best intentions. But I say this to Mr. Howell, Mr. Werner, and the rest of the NRC team. The button, the pivot, the leverage point resides in those two words, design change. SCE has tried to game you, pretending that its attempt to rev up the nuclear engines by adding more steam generator tubes was simply a like-for-like replacement. So what's the big deal, dude? But it is a big deal for all of us, to the people of Southern California, to the farmers in the greatest agricultural industry in the country, to the states and the country's economy, to our homes, our families, our children, grandchildren, and beyond, and yours too. May you do your job without spin. May you be willing to hold feet to the fire and stand by your convictions. You're the firewall between us and what we see as potential, if not inevitable, disaster. May you see the truth, stay the course, and stand up for what's right when the going gets tough. We'll be watching. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, December 4, 2012. Material for this podcast was gathered from enenews.com, Fukushima Diary written by Yori Mochizuki, Huffington Post, Fairwinds Energy Education, Greenpeace, World Nuclear News, Gary Hedrick and San Clemente Greens, Gene Stone and Residents Organized for a Safe Environment, the wonderful videos that are taken at all our events by Myla Reason, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook Network. You can find all our podcasts posted at nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog, on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat pages, and on iTunes podcasts where you can subscribe for free. Share us 
link to us. We're friendly. We don't bite unless you're on the other side. And realize that Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues. So use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. This is Libby Halevi of Hardestry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep.